we don't want to miss out on any um, opportunity here. I am I am uh, Hannah Riley Bowles. I'm research director here at the Women in Public Policy program, where we are dedicated to closing gender gaps in uh, political and economic participation, health, and education. Um, and today's speaker is a very apt, um, uh, mission central for us. I am here to introduce um, Professor uh, Robert Jensen. He is a professor of business, economics, and public policy at the University of Pennsylvania. He is a longtime friend of the Kennedy School, a former colleague here. And um, today, uh, Rob, in general, does work on kind of the microeconomics of uh, international development and poverty, and he's taken a number of different angles on this. He's done studies in numerous countries, including, or has studies ongoing in numerous countries, including China, the Dominican Republic, Mexico, Nepal, and India. I think mo a lot of your work has been in India? Yes. Yeah. So I think a big chunk of that work, a lot of that work I'll just preface, it's not what he's going to talk about today, but he's done this absolutely fascinating field work, um, looking at uh, field experiments, looking at interventions that could close um, gender gaps in not only women's um, economic participation in rural India, but also um, women's uh, educational opportunity. He's got measures of whether how well they're fed by their families, um, the age at which they marry, pushing it maybe up from 16 or 17 to 18 or 19 by virtue of demonstrating um, economic opportunity, and even seems to be pushing the dial on um, the lost um, women's problem. So Rob Jensen is really someone who is um, really working, you're doing brilliant work, particularly with regard to this idea of closing gender gaps. Today, we're gonna get to see some of his work um, conducted for the first time doing field work in the US, um, looking at questions of um, gender and <laughs> academic competition. So I won't take any more time, so we have maximum time with Rob, but it's really a joy to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming, and thank you for having me. Um, and thanks for the introduction. Uh, as Hannah pointed out, yes. Yeah, so a lot of my work does focus on uh, gender and development, and particularly around the problem of skewed sex ratios. Um, and I've spoken here in the past uh, on that topic in this in this very seminar. I don't know if it was this room. I don't think it was seminar room, but somewhere here, certainly. Uh, but yeah, today I'm going to be talking about something that. Um, so as a development economist, or as an economist more generally, I guess we're probably used to talking the things that we have no right to talk about or know nothing about. I'm going to talk about a topic that I know very little about, um, uh, and that people in this room have done a lot of work on, on gender and competition negotiation and things like that. Um, but there was sort of a really interesting research opportunity. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Anyway, but uh, what I'm going to talk about today is whether young men and women respond to academic uh, competition and peer stigma um, differently. So some quick motivation. Um, it's sort of often found, uh, when we think about this sort of issue of gender and competition, that for a variety of important outcomes that um, men and women sort of perform, uh, perform differently and that there's sort of huge gender disparities, okay? So for example, when we look at the achieving top management or executive positions within firms, women certainly fall far behind men. Um, in negotiations, women often don't perform as well as men, and in negotiation, in some sense, it's a competition over scarce resources. So in a lot of competitive environments, it seems like women um, do not perform as well as men, and they lag behind. And there's two sort of distinct channels to which we think that might happen. The first is that women may just choose not to engage in competitive environments in the first place. So you see in a lot of lab experiments, when you offer people the opportunity to sort of perform a task, 
and we're either going to pay you, like for example, we're going to ask you to solve a number of mazes. You know, you have to solve a maze on a computer. And we'll either say we can pay you for every maze you solve, or we can pay you even more in a tournament setting where you're competing against others. And we find consistently in a lot of environments that women will choose not to uh, participate in the more competitive environments. Similarly, there's some evidence that people have suggested that women may not perform as well in competitive environments, either in absolute or relative terms. So compared to a non-competitive environment, sometimes we think women might do uh, slightly worse. But more importantly, in a relative sense, we often find that even when women do about the same in competitive and non-competitive environments, sometimes what you see is that men do better. So it's just that you know, men happen to uh, really perform well in competitive environments, whereas sometimes women just sort of stay the same. But in relative terms, when you put people in competitions, women, again, often end up lagging behind, either not entering or not performing quite as well. Yeah, so exactly. So people have looked at single-sex tournaments versus mixed-sex tournaments, right? And what you find is that um, women, when they're competing against other women, will do slightly better than when they're not competing. Um, but men still do a lot better in this. Yeah, the absolute gap is still much, much larger for men. But you're right, the, the context definitely matters. And there have been tons and tons of studies kind of looking at this. A lot of this has been through lab experiments uh, in very controlled settings where you can really isolate the mechanism very cleanly. Okay. Now, there's a lot of reasons that people have proposed for why there might be gender differences in performance on the competition. Uh, it could be socialization from a very young age. Maybe um, uh, you know, girls are not you know, uh, encouraged to be competitive or they're discouraged actively from competing. It could be that there's some risk aversion or risk taking. Maybe women are less uh, uh, risk averse. So in fact, maybe the reason I'm willing to present on a topic that I know nothing about is maybe because I've been always been encouraged since a little kid to sort of take chance or risk or something. Who knows? Anyway, but there might be differences in risk aversion between men and women, which has been recognized. Uh, stereotype threat, so it might be that there might be anxiety about conforming to a stereotype. Right, so the idea that if we think, you know, if people believe that women are bad in competition, then when a woman enters a competition, she might feel the pressure of saying, everyone expects me to do worse, and it sort of creates anxiety and adversely affects your performance. There might be differences in the degree of over or underconfidence. For example, women may not enter tournaments because they don't think they're going to win. So in fact, often, even controlling an experiment for someone's actual performance, women usually underestimate how well they perform relative to others. And so if you think you're not going to do well in competition, you may not enter competitions, even if in reality you do just as well. People have talked about nature and evolution. For example, we see that in other species, men, uh, male, uh, you know, even little uh, beetles, you know, running across the floor of a desert or something, that the males of the species often are more competitive than females. Um, and people have talked about evolutionary arguments, like men have more to gain through competition because, um, you know, you can, um, you know, your reproductive uh, success, you can, you know, have um, children with many, many women. And so competing can increase your likelihood of, you know, sort of reproducing. Uh, and so men may have evolved to be more competitive because there's a bigger gain. Uh, to them, there's elements of biology. The higher your level of testosterone, it turns out that um, you know, even among men, those with more testosterone do better in competition. Things like that, identity, social costs. You might face some stigma if you compete, or if you're a woman, there might be some uh, things that society imposes on you that by competing, you're sort of labeled differently, or you face some social costs. Regardless, there's a ton of reasons that may be driving sort of these underlying issues in in competitive performance between men and women. Now, I want to relate this somewhat, this idea of competition, to an academic setting. People have looked at the sort of com competition in a lot of settings. Um, and I want to talk about this in terms of uh, uh, math performance in high schools or any kind of math performance. So it turns out that today, um, the 
performance, the average performance between men and women in math um, is actually fairly small. There's a gap, but it's not huge. Um, but certainly, and in other countries there are big gaps, but certainly one thing is there's enormous differences at the top end of the distribution, right? So it turns out if you look at people who get 800 on the math SAT, um, two to one ratio of men to women. So at the top end of the distribution, even if on average women are doing almost as good as men, at the top end of the distribution, women are really not performing very well. The top performers tend to be men. It's the same for the GRE. If we look at um, the AP exams, um, you know, getting top scores on AP exams, uh, men are more likely to do that. And no woman has ever won a Fields Medal, which is sort of the biggest uh, award in mathematics. So for whatever reason, even though there's not an average gap or there's a small gap, the top end of the distribution um, uh, there is a big gap. Another way to think about the fact of what is the size of the math gap between men and women is that when we look in other subjects, women actually do much better than men in school. So now you might flip that around and say, well, isn't there a male disadvantage or something like that? And I don't want to go looking for a problem where there is none. However, you know, the fact that women do so well on other subjects compared to men might mean that the fact that they don't outperform men on math might still mean that they're not performing well in math, right? And again, I don't want to look for problems where there aren't one, but like we know that Boys are not as good students in school because they face more disciplinary problems and stuff like that. So if we see that girls consistently are better students on almost every subject except math, it might actually still be that they're not performing well on math, okay? So again, I just want to get at this idea of there still exists some very important gender gaps in mathematics uh, performance between men and women, okay? And that's, that's gonna be a big motivation, motivating topic here. And recently, some people have suggested that the reason women may not perform as well in math compared to men is due to competition. So for example, um, uh, Niederle and Westerlund have basically um, argued that uh, whatever gap we see in performance might not actually reflect a true gap in skills. Um, it might actually just be how you perform conditional on your skill set, that in, in competitive test-taking environments, women don't do well, okay? So that's what I'm kind of interested in here. And in fact, they give, a, they give an example uh, from some of their own work, for example, where they looked at students in a very competitive Israeli technical university and they had groups of three men and three women solve mazes under different incentive schemes. And the non-incentive, non-competitive scheme, which I alluded to earlier, every maze you solve, you get a certain amount of money, okay? Men do slightly better in this, but not so much better. But then if you put them in a tournament, women will do slightly better in the tournament, but not that much better than when there's just paid per maze solved, but men do much, much better, okay? So again, and it also depends on whether it's a same, same, single or mixed sex thing. And other people have found, for example, a study of uh, French business school students found that um, on an entrance exam, a very competitive entrance exam to a French business school, um, men significantly outperform uh, women, especially on the mathematical components of this. Um, yet, if you look at those same men and women two years earlier during their high school uh, exit exam, the baccalaureate, it turns out that the women actually did better than men. And if you look in their first year performance, the women do better than men as well. So in the less competitive environments, the same set of women outperform men. But in the more competitive test-taking environment to get into the school, they underperform them. Okay, so again, there's some evidence of sort of you know differences in performance under competition. So what I want to do here is um, I want to show you evidence from a natural experiment. This is something that happened that we took advantage of to study. I want to show what happens when you take a group of high school kids, boys and girls, and you take them from a non-competitive environment and you put them into a competitive environment, what happens to the relative performance? So it's gonna be a very clean sort of study in an actual classroom rather than a lab setting of introducing a competitive um, system to, to a, 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 an academic environment. And then I'm gonna examine what happens before and after in those cases there. 
And again, I think what the value of doing something like this is a lot of sort of studies of gender and competition have used lab experiments, which is again, which are terrific for being able to isolate causal mechanisms and control for lots of other things. However, there's a big value, I think, to sort of taking a real world setting. These were actual high school kids. These were not, you know, people who agreed to participate in a study. This was not a setting that's artificial to them. It's their regular classroom that they went to every day and had been going for a long time. And then we actually introduced a very small policy change that created a much more competitive environment. So I think, um, and it's a much more diverse uh, cross-section of schools. So I think it's actually a, a useful uh, uh, example of studying competition in the classroom and how it affects students. So I'm, I'm very curious to, uh, to learn more about that, um, that particular study. Um, but because you just mentioned France, uh, I don't know, do you know the work that has been done in Sweden on competition and and also math performance? I mean, it's quite interesting that Scandinavian countries are just countries where the, the gap in math has reversed, that yes. women are outperforming men now. Yeah, and exactly. also, the researchers do not find, they need to lay the the task, they do not find gender differences in competitiveness. Exactly. So it's just quite interesting. I, I, I'm just that you might also learn, or yeah. we, not you, we. Yes, we, or me. Yeah. <laughs> learn to work with a competitive environment in different kinds of societies. No, that's true. So it might be that where there is more gender equality, right, that you might see. Although the funny part is, so people have also looked in a cross-sectional setting, right, and they find that where there's more gender equality, there's sort of, um, but it turns out that also people have looked recently, when you expand the size of the sample, I forget what the study was, I just saw a working paper, that some of the results kind of go away. But you're right, it might be that in, a, in an environment, different kinds of environments that um, you, you learn to compete and that it doesn't have this adverse effect. No, I agree. So that's why. I generally totally believe that this generalized phenomenon. I'm just yeah. suggesting that maybe another intervention. Yeah, no, that's, no, it's true. And in fact, so um, I've also, this topic of male-female performance, um, so because of all my work in India on, on gender bias, I'm actually doing very similar studies in India to sort of see mm. how people respond to competition. Because when you look at all the sort of the, the leading technical, you know, the IITs in India and the IIMs and stuff like that, men still sort of dominate in terms of their uh, admissions and in terms of uh, performance there. Okay, so. Uh, whoops. Okay, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at this setting to actually look for evidence uh, of what happens. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about the setting. I worked with a, a very large test prep company that offers computer-based uh, test courses and materials. So in essence, um, this is a company that's been working in the state of California since 2006. It's not one of the big national companies, although they've now become national. Uh, they're a very well-known company. They have a very good reputation in California. They work in several hundred schools throughout the state and they offer computer-based courses. So if you're a high school student in the state of California, um, a good number of them, when they show up for a math class, are sitting in front of a computer that has software from this company. So they're learning and doing test prep with this company. So again, it's something that they, um, that they use frequently. Schools buy the software and they set up classes for students. So you're taking algebra, you sit in front of a computer, you have a lab course, and you're, you're using their software. Um, and it's done in a computer lab at school. You can also access some of this online at home, but most of it is in school. There's two particular sources of data that I want to show you. The first is the KC exam, the California High School Exit Exam. So one of the big things this company does, in order to graduate high school in California, you have to pass this exit exam, okay? Um, uh, and so it's a very high stakes test, and some students don't pass it, okay? So this company, one of the things they do is they sell their software to a lot of high schools, and kids have to take this class uh, to help prepare them for this exam. So it's 10th and 11th grade students, and they've taken courses in English and math. Another set of subjects that this company specializes in is learning Algebra 2, so the second level of Algebra, which again is a required course in a lot of uh, California high schools, and then also some English courses as well. So I'm gonna show you um, what happens with their software when they sort of change things around a little bit. 
So with this software, you're a student in the state of California, you get to school, you're in front of a computer or you have your laptop or you have an iPad. Uh, so a lot of the high schools have iPads now. You have an individual account. You get into your math class and you log into your account. Um, and what happened was in these math classes, you would instantly be presented with a large database of questions, okay? Some of these were quizzes, so in-class exams and quizzes and stuff like that. Some of it was just exercises that you would run through in class, uh, either on your own or in a group, okay? And these are just multiple choice questions, so standard things you see like on a standardized test, for example, okay? So students have been using that system for years, both for algebra, for some uh, English classes, and in particular for this California high school exit exam. Then on September 21st, 2011, about five or six weeks into the school term, without any advance notice, any notice or explanation, um, the, country, the company introduced its own point system. So they didn't have to consult. It turns out that this company has the authority to make any changes to the software they want to in the classroom at any time. So nobody knew what was happening. One software designer basically woke up one day and said, I've got a great idea. They've all been answering these questions. Why don't we try to encourage them to work harder by creating a point system? Okay, so now, it used to be you just would log in and you'd answer these questions and you were told if you're right or wrong. Now all of a sudden, they change things up. If you got it right on your first try, you would get 1,000 points and a little thing would light up. If you got it correct on your second or third tries, you get 325 points. After that, you'd get no points. And there's no penalty for incorrect uh, answers. So again, before this, you answered a question, you were told if you're right or wrong, but you got no feedback. Now all of a sudden, they're assigning points. And at the very same time, they introduced the leaderboard. Okay, so when you sign into your account now, it used to be you would sign in and see a database of questions. All of a sudden now, the first thing you see when you sign in is the leaderboard, okay? Which looks like this. This was your homepage. So within your class, your school, and your nationwide, who's the number one, who's number two, and who's number three, okay? That creates a very competitive environment. All of a sudden, you know who the top scorers are. And you could look at it in the past seven days, last 30 days, or all time. Um, I've blacked out the names here, but this is an actual leaderboard where you can see this is their points and stuff like that. And so you now know in your class who's the top kid. So this creates competition, okay? So again, we had a very clean experiment where kids were answering the very same questions. They woke up one day and found this leaderboard staring them in the face, and now the competition is on. And let's see what happens. Is this signaling two things, though, I'm guessing from your yes. previous, that it's not only that it's competitive, but also boys are better than girls? Oh, yes, yeah, so there's a couple boys, of things. Yeah, so because you're going to have boys' names, I'm assuming, based on your setup. Yeah, well, I'm not, so I'm not assuming, yeah, so it could be, right? So there could be two things that happen. One is, all of a sudden, there's a competition, right? And that sort of affects people differently. Yeah. The other could be, if the boys do end up performing more at the top, then that reinforces this belief, you know, like that maybe the girls in the school will stop trying because they're like, oh, the boys are the ones who sort of perform better or something. Right? So yeah. it also reveals information about who the top performers are. It might confirm stereotypes, but it could go the other way, right? I mean, it, it, it's up in the air what this might do, but you're right, there could be several effects. And in fact, there's one other effect that I think is really important um, that I'll talk about in a second, too. And we could also have the effect of if a girl's at the top of that list, whether she thinks she'll have social sanction for being there, exactly. or whether she'll want to diminish her performance once it's transparent. Exactly. No one wants to go out with the uh, the girl who's good at math, right? Basically, right? There might be those social stigma kind of thing 
sorry, as offensive as that sounds, but that, that's something I'm very worried about. So, um, so that's definitely a second mechanism. So what's going to go on here is that you can often, and many times you can't separate competition from some kind of stigma, right? Like if you try to enter this competition, I'm going to think something about you. You're a different kind of person. And you might face sanctions from your peers, or at least fear that you're going to face sanctions from your peers. Or by performing better, I kind of know something about you, right? That you're trying hard, that you're a nerd, or something like that. So that, that can definitely have a gender dimension as well. And so it's going to wrap those two things together. So this is not going to be a clean test of competition. But I often, I'm sort of arguing also that First, it's a real-world competitive environment. And second, competition often involves stigma for the winners as well. So you rarely can separate them out. Mm -hmm. So you can answer questions. So there's some of these that are just quizzes. So we're all sitting together and we all have to answer 10 questions. So the top scorer on the quiz, for example, will be who did the best on the quiz. But this is cumulative. And you can, when you're sitting and doing exercises on your own in class, you can choose to answer more questions. Okay. So the way to get more points is to answer more of them correctly or just to answer more so of them. Yeah, it's some combination of both, exactly. They have the most cumulative points added up, which is a function of both how many questions you answer and how many of them you get correct. So it's like a video game now where boys spend a lot of their time. So I have a teenage son. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, then you may also understand that um, we looked at the days of major video game releases during this period, like Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that. The boys' performance just plummets, basically. Um, they just they get nothing right. They've probably been up all night the previous night sort of playing their video games. So in fact, that was one of the things we were looking at, was like the video games actually sort of, and yeah, you look at Grand Theft Auto, you look at Halo, you look at all these other things, and sure enough, the boys' performance just falls down. Yeah, it's a, it's a typical, well, uh, from your accent, I guess you wouldn't know the typical American, I don't know if you went to high school, or maybe you did. No, 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 I, don't, I didn't mean that in a bad way. This, you know, American high schools, yes, there's a lot of this sort of uh, pressure, certainly, um, and there's certainly uh, a, a different kind of environment. There's no specific encouragement to girls. So this is a cross-section of high school students, and they're not specifically being encouraged, like, okay, you know, girls do better or anything like that. There's no, I can't rule out that there might be some schools in my sample where they're trying to encourage girls, but in general, you really don't see any, as you see in most of the world, right, you really don't see that much of, like, you know, that strong effort to try to encourage women to sort of, um, you know, do better or to overcome these stereotypes. Okay? So anyway, but I should emphasize that other than the point system and leaderboard, everything else was completely unchanged. Unchanged. Okay? Um, so again, there's this idea that it creates a, a, a sort of um, competitive environment. Um, but again, I don't want to call it pure because it's also these pure sanctions that we were sort of alluding to. Um, and so, for example, one of the things we also look at in this paper is there's the so-called acting white hypothesis, right? So there's a lot of people have done work on the idea that um, minority students in the U.S. who perform better, who try hard, face sanctions from their peers. Uh, it's sort of like selling out or something like that. And so you might think that 
you know, before you could do really, really well. Now your friends are going to know you're doing well, and you might face peer sanctions. Um, you might be, you know, called a nerd or a geek or a loser or something like that. Um, there's a whole literature on anti-intellectualism, which is that, um, you know, girls specifically with respect to math, you know, in, in elementary school and in high school, that, you know, there's more of a stigma facing them for doing well in, in math. Um, you know, so, so yes, there's, there's sort of all that kind of going on here. Um, so I'm not going to try to tease them out, but again, like I sort of said, they often go together. Although to a different, it'll different, it'll differ sometimes in threshold awards versus zero sum awards versus competition. But anyway, not so similar anymore. Yeah. Now I forgot how long am I supposed to? I, oh, I, we've got until one o'clock, so we're we're good. Okay, but I was supposed to only speak for like. Oh no no no, 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 no! Okay, all right. We're interrupting. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. no play, it, play it like you. Would <laughs> okay. Have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Manage the time. Okay. Or, okay. And reach out if you want help. <laughs> your house, your rules, though. So I'll do whatever. Okay. So, um, uh, students, uh, well, actually, let me just sort of skip past this. Um, so, the schools choose, uh, for some of the classes, but not all of them, they choose like some remedial classes where the kids kind of do it. But the key is, we have, the, the company gave us every single click that had ever been used in their system. So, we have a data set with 55 million observations where anytime any kid ever logged in and clicked a button, we sort of have that there. Uh, so, it's about 12,000 students across around 100 schools. So, it's a very large data set. Um, now, one of the downsides is we actually don't have the sex of the student recorded in our data set because the company didn't record anything about them except their first and their last name. So, what we did was we took that data, we took U.S. Social Security Administration data, so we took the universe of all birth certificates that were issued by the U.S. government. We looked, these kids are now around 13 years old or so when they were taking this. We matched back to birth certificates 13 years ago. And we sort of said for every birth certificate where you have the first name and a sex assigned to it, let's look at what percentage of every, you know, every student, every kid who's born named Robert, what percentage of them are male, what percent are female. And if we found greater than 90% match, like more than 90% of a given name was of one sex, was all male and more, all female, but then we assign that kid a boy or a girl based on those birth certificates during the cohort when they were born. Because sometimes these things change over time, these trends. Um, and on top of that, um, that still left a couple, that actually, it turns out that roughly, um, roughly 93%, actually it's 95% of all names in the U.S. have more than 90% share uh, of one sex. But there are names that are certainly used on both Dana and sort of lots of things where, that are very mixed. So we can't categorize all of them. Um, if we go down to 80%, we get almost all the kids basically. So 80% of names do have one sex that's dominant, it turns out. Um, but there'll be a little bit of miscategorization here, but, but not too much. And then we did some other validation with other data sets. And so, but again, that's a limitation. We had to assign their sex based on the frequency observed first name sex combinations in US births around this time period. And then we even concentrated it, not just those births around the time they were born, but kids born in California, you know, because maybe that's different or something. So we hope we did okay. but. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it turns out, though, that um, Los Angeles Unified School District, um, the ethnic composition is 70 to 75 percent um, Latino Hispanic, um, around 20 percent uh, African American, 10 percent, am I adding up right? 10 percent white, and about one or two percent Asian American. So you're right, those are less likely to do it. Although often kids will also have uh, an English name that we'll have recorded, in which case we kind of try to match up. Okay? All right, so uh, that's that. Um, basically all we're gonna do, uh, we're gonna look before and after. 
We're also going to control for trends. We're going to control for the same exact student. So you might worry, what if there's different students? There's things we don't observe about the student. But we observe the students before and after. So we econometrically, we can use sort of um, student fixed effects. We also did placebo dates where we tested a lot of other things, looked for differential trends. Anyway, we did a lot of econometrics to make sure we're not picking up sort of random stuff here. Um, what we're also going to do is we're going to look at how the effects of your performance in, in this uh, classroom, how it differs by gender, but we're also going to look at how it differs by your ability. So what you might imagine, this is a leaderboard that only records the top three kids. So the only kids at risk of being outed as being hard workers or smart are the kids who have really high ability. So what we do is before the leaderboard came along, we can actually measure how well they were doing because we know all of their answers. So we say, who are the smart kids? Who are the not as good performers? Okay, And we know that there might be a difference between the kids at the top and the kids at the bottom because the kids at the top one who are going to wake up and either go, wow, I'm now in competition for these top three slots, or I can be outed as being a smart kid, whereas no one knew that before. So you might think there's a different effect for kids you know, throughout the distribution. So what we actually do is we look at this across different quartiles of the performance distribution. And I'll just I'll, I'll describe that in more detail when I get there. So let's kind of see what happens here. Before you get into the, yes. that, just one, one more question about kind of the context. Was there discussion about this? Not at all. I mean, as you can tell in this room, we're all like, wow. I know, I know, it's crazy. And this so, is just, yeah. no. No, no. This company has. No outrage, schools, teachers. No, no one did anything. It was really surprising to us. And again, it was really just one programmer who basically just woke up one day and said, wouldn't it be cool if we had a leaderboard? And that's it. And they have a contract that allows them to make those kinds of changes without having to get any approval at all. And so no one said anything. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Not doing a good job enough to get our <laughs> yeah, exactly, because someone might have said, like, this is a terrible idea, yes, right? You yeah. might have thought, like, this is awful. And again, I think one of the broader lessons here is that we often assume in general that, like, having awards, right, is like a good thing. Oh, if we give you honors and we do these things, it's going to make kids work harder, but actually it can have this perverse effect of making kids do worse, either due to competition or due to the stigma effect. So, yes, I agree with you completely. It's, it's also a very stereotypically masculine intervention. I mean, it's clearly like something he, you would see. I didn't say it was a guy yeah. software yeah, 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 person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was though. It yeah. was. But, but, but I mean, that's another thing to think about. I mean, like the whole leaderboard. I don't. I don't play in a video games, but it, my husband plays when we go out to restaurants and have to sit there. They've got like leaderboards on like the race cars or the yeah, yeah. Gun, gun shooting or wherever they are. Definitely. I mean, that seems to be where it comes from. I assume. Yeah, yeah. That, oh, that's yeah. exactly. Yeah, in yeah, fact, yeah. they've now made this into a video game, basically. Okay. They now just bought a video game company, and now everything they do in the classroom kind of looks like a video game. And it's like one of these, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer a 13-year-old boy, but um, apparently 13-year-old boys play these like games, like something where they build, I forget what it's called, but where they build a little Minecraft. Charm. Minecraft, that's it. This is now, this is now Minecraft. Every, every question you solve correctly, you get a brick to build something or something like that. So yeah, but that's after, that's, that's only in the past few months. Here's why I know. Because my 12-year-old son is sitting right there in my office, <laughs> probably playing Minecraft. Okay. There we go. I do want you to know that my 6-year-old daughter was just the top of a leaderboard on some game, and you know, immediately actually called her dad and was like, "I beat you." <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. I'm just surprised. You know, I, I'm a mother of boys, by the way, but at the same time, I really stand for them. You know why? Mm -hmm. Because they're so discouraged in the past. Yeah. My husband is a computer scientist, you know, and I got married at 16 years age. And I've been competing in Harvard with my husband. And 
Nobody encourages me, God encourages me, and but I get up every get every get you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. But encouragement or motivation or guidance is so important. But this project is like I feel it's like a psychological weapon for girls to discourage girls. Oh yeah. That is how I feel. That's why I'm very yeah. It's bad enough we don't do anything to encourage yeah. them. But much less have something like this. By the way, I didn't do this, right? So, you know, like, this is not my, I got the data because I thought, like, this is crazy that they did this, right? Um, this was not my idea. I definitely would never have encouraged it. In fact, the girls did great, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, okay. Um, although, again, let, let's see what the results kind of say, you know? Because um, it turns out, in fact, it's slightly surprising. So, if we look at the number of correct answers per day before the point system, after the point system, girls, boys, Okay, so in math, you could see that before the point system, girls were actually doing slightly better than boys, in fact, um, uh, and much better in math, uh, in, verb, in English classes. Um, after the point system was in place, you could see the girls went down, okay, um, whereas the boys actually performed better in the math classes, okay? So that's kind of the competition effect. It's not huge, but you do definitely see that effect. Um, in the English classes, it turns out that they both do better, um, but boys still even there do slightly better, right? Because, you know, boys, the girls will gain by an average around, you know, point, you know, five uh, per day, whereas the, that's for girls, they'll do about 0.5 questions better per day, but the boys actually do significantly better, like 0.8 or sort of something like that. So in fact, you do see some evidence that this leaderboard, it's not as huge an effect, but you do see, definitely see some evidence that the girls do worse and the boys do better once we introduce this sort of system. Okay, so it kind of does have this, this sort of perverse effect there. Sorry? <laughs> Nothing, it just keep going. This the is the percent answer correct. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, this also, we were I curious about- you what's going on. Yeah. So we're just wondering about the number of uh, they might be standard deviations, actually, not standard errors. Okay, yeah. so were these results statistically significant? Yes, it turns out they are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I have regressions that sort of show this, but I thought I would just sort of show the tables here. Yeah, these are not standard errors. These are standard deviations, which is part of that. But yeah, so you'd want to do a formal statistical test before we just look at the means here. But it turns out it is a statistically significant difference. Okay. Okay, so that's how many correct answers they got per day. You might think that, like, what percent of questions they answered they got correct. You might think if people stress out over competition, we'll sort of see the effect there. So what you do sort of see is that, again, um, here it's less clear, though, because when we look in the math sort of category, um, women do worse before versus after, but kind of men do worse as well. And in fact, there's no difference in how they perform. Like, it's not that they're sort of, um, so that the interpretation here largely um, and again, you can see they both do slightly better on the verbal, but it's not a huge effect. So the interpretation is, it's not that they're less likely to get the answers correct, so there might not be a stress, it's that they're choosing to answer few, fewer questions. They're actually choosing just not to answer them, because that's another way to reduce your score as well. Okay, so that's like withdrawing from competition. I'm afraid of being sort of at the top there. Um, but the funny part is, can remember... You, can you, I'm sorry, yeah. can you go back and explain that again? Because I, I thought looking at this, it, the number of correct, oh, the number of correct answers. Yeah, because you can just answer more questions you or fewer questions. You answer more questions, questions. Yeah. right. Yeah, exactly, exactly, or so fewer aren't they questions. Just, doesn't this indicate that the boys are just answering more questions? It could be, uh, and that the girls are answering fewer, basically. Yeah. So it's not that they're changing much the probability, although there's a slight decline in the probability, yeah, but, but the they're, point they're definitely answering more, yeah. So they're choosing, like, I want to be on top of the leaderboard, right? So they're answering more questions to try to yeah. get on the top. The yeah, boys exactly. in particular. Yeah, exactly, yeah. whereas women are answering fewer questions to sort yeah. of avoid right. sort of, you know, being on top. Mm -hmm. 
But if the goal of the game is just to maximize points, and you can see people spending less time on harder questions, moving on to the next questions, and they can right. answer more anyway, it's not necessarily yeah. backing out because they don't want to compete. It actually might be an indicator right. of wanting to compete. Except we see their points go down as well, it turns right. out, right? Um, and in fact, we have controls. The, the company in the database would list the difficulty of each question for us. Mm -hmm. So in fact, it wasn't that kind of strategic oh. behavior where you say, let me just skip past these and get to the easier ones. To what degree did students know the point system? So they woke up one day and they saw a leaderboard, but yeah. did they know how the points were being calculated? Yeah, I think they explained to them, like, first, you know, get it right on the first try, you get 1,000 points, get it right on the second try, 325 points, the third try, after that you get no points at all. Yeah, public high schools, yes. Would it, would that even go to a private high school? Is there a more competitive nature there? No, that would be interesting. So it turns out that these guys don't sell to any private schools. They're all in public schools. Um, we thought there might be a difference between charter schools and non-charter schools as well. But it turns out in the state of California, charter school means something very different than here. It's not necessarily a special school. It could just be, this was a failing school, and we're going to take you over and call you a charter. So we actually, we, we don't look, um, we don't have any private schools we can examine. You might think there's a different competitive environment, or, or that they're taught to be more competitive, right? Or maybe their parents put them into a private school, and they've been raised in a more competitive environment or something. So yeah, we, we can't say anything about that. Yeah, definitely, because you're going to face these additional sanctions, right? Yeah. If you do well and if people, because again, no one will know who you are as long as you don't score in the top three. But the moment you get to the top, people are going to know who you are, and then this sort of bullying could sort of start. So again, it could get back to this stigma thing that it's not just that I don't want to compete, it's kind of I don't want to be at the top, right? But again, that's what maybe that's what competition is, right? It's a question of like, part of it is deliberately not wanting to be at the top because you're going to face some kind of sanctions. And I, I think that's fully consistent with kind of what's going on here. Okay. Yes, so. I mean, this is not, it wouldn't be perfectly identified, but given the overnight change, mm -hmm. if you see the girls at the top in the, in the very beginning, uh, what are the trends? I mean, it, it could be the opposite of the self stereotype. It doesn't have to be the stigma stereotype. If you see more girls who are performing really well, yeah. then you actually would continue to get them to finish. No, definitely. So you could imagine, yeah, seeing uh, other sort of uh, women at the top, you're sort of like, okay, now I know women can succeed and I sort of try harder. Um, it turns out, though, that um, 
so we, we look for effects like that, because this is an interesting thing as well when we get to this, like what percentage of the leaders uh, were top three, and this is where it gets interesting here, because um, it turns out, oddly, and this is a result we can't fully reconcile, that, um, oh no wait, this is the wrong table, this is actually the wrong thing. No, this is not the way it goes. Okay, so we do see a difference in, in being <coughs> in the leader in the, in the leaderboard, basically. Um, but the question was, what happened on the first day or the second day? The problem is, it changed so rapidly during that time that we don't know which. Yeah, yeah, very, very quickly and stuff like that. So by the end, we don't have enough to sort of look. But that was one of the things we were observing. Oh, they're all co-ed schools, oh, they're, they're all, yeah, yeah. These are uh, public high schools, so they're all mixed sex, yeah. Okay, anyway, I'll just show you also some, some results that are consistent with other things i kind of been talking about, which again, if we look at the full perform, full effect of the thing, um, when we look at the students, I told you we were gonna also look at students at the bottom versus the top and stuff like that. The amazing thing is, the kids at the bottom, so if we look at the effect of having after, being after the leaderboard was introduced, if we look at the kids who, before the leaderboard was around, were doing the worst, those kids actually do slightly better. So they increase the number of points, uh, the questions answered correctly per day by 1.6. But the higher you go, in other words, the more risk you are at being outed as being in the top three, the more you sort of cut back. And it's the kids who were the smartest at first who actually cut back the most, right? Which is sort of this perverse effect, right? You, you sort of design this system to encourage kids to excel and to exceed and to try harder. And in fact, you take sort of, um, you do have that effect for kids who are near the bottom, but the kids at the top are the ones who sort of definitely cut back. And again, that effect, um, I don't know if I put the table in here, but that effect is actually bigger for girls. The girls who know they were doing well beforehand are the ones who cut back the most because they're afraid of being at the top. Uh, anyway, this is sort of some very, very similar kind of things. So anyway, um, yeah, so that, that's that. So I can, yeah, sorry. Quick question on clarification. How did they know they were doing well beforehand if they didn't look at the Well, so that's the thing. I have to assume that they knew something about their own ability, right? They had been using this system in this semester. They had been using it already for about five or six weeks, answering questions every single day. Um, they'd also used it previous years. So I'm just going to assume that students have some signal of their own ability. For example, you know if you're an A student, B student, or C student, right? People kind of know about how well they perform in school. And on top of that, they also know I've been using this for a long time and I'm always getting them right or I'm always getting them wrong. That doesn't tell me how other people in my class are doing, right? Because it's relative performance that matters. But we, I'm just sort of assuming that they have some signal. Like I measured their ability beforehand. I know what percent they were getting correct and how many they were answering. Um, but I'm just going to assume that some students have that signal uh, on their own from, from other sort of sources, you know, uh, like grades and things like that. Okay? So anyway, so the, the conclusions of that paper are basically, again, this idea that um, you sort of went from this non-competitive environment to a competitive environment, and sure enough, you sort of see the women withdrawing from the competition. I think it's as much a story of stigma as it is of competition, but again, stigma is often wrapped up in competition. So I think the results sort of have some important implications for how we think, well, well first, I would, we told the company to stop doing this. Um, <laughs> they're still doing it, of course. Um, but you know, it, it, I think it also has important implications for understanding male-female uh, performance gaps, especially in math in high schools. Um, and also, I think, again, there's, there's spillover lessons for what we think about awards more generally. I mean, we have lots of awards that we offer to students in schools, and they're public, right? So you're on the honor roll, or you get your picture on the wall, or you get honors, or you're put in honors classes. And again, it's always assumed that's going to promote performance. But to the extent that there's any competition associated with getting those awards, or to the extent that there's stigma associated with getting them, it actually have, might have this adverse effect of both causing students to cut back, but in particular, adversely affecting uh, women's performance um, so that they kind of don't stand out in this sort of way. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask, 
Right, so on Yeah. Definitely. So it turns out that um, the data set we have, again, only has first and last name, and it has a lot of other things. We can match the ethnicity, again, using birth certificates. We actually tried to match ethnicity and say what percentage of people born with the name Robert are white, Asian, Hispanic, you know, African-American, and stuff like that. Um, that doesn't do quite as successful because names cross over a lot more. Last names help us a bit more on ethnicity, but not a ton, uh, especially with, you know, Asian and with Latino. Um, however, um, what we did do, so we have very little individual information on the students, but we know about the school, right? And so we can match them to their school, and we know the characteristics of the schools. And it turns out that the effects are biggest in the lower income school districts and the districts with a higher percentage of uh, minority students. So, so women do worse because the competition? Right? Yes. Well, all students do worse under the competition in, in those settings, but differentially more so for, for girls, definitely. And again, some of that is consistent with the so-called acting white hypothesis that people have talked about, that the stigma effects of performing well are much greater in minority communities. Um, but again, we, we haven't sort of presented, and we're still kind of working on that a little bit. I just want to clarify, so you said you went back to the company and you said you're still using it, or what yeah. was the Well, now they have Minecraft or whatever this sort of thing is. But yeah, they're still using a leaderboard, although they're going to phase it out. Um, but there'll still be a leaderboard in the sense that, um, so they still have the leaderboard. They said they're phasing it out. But what there's still going to be is when you play this game, the more correct you get, I think you get like a house or a brick or I forget exactly how it works. So you could still, like, then you get to place it on this map and there's this big world they've created and you get to see this is Rob's house and this is Iris's house and then this is Hannah's house. So you still will know who has the most houses there. So, But it's going to be a less overt kind of thing, right? You might imagine it also changes how people engage with the game in some ways. We're also interested in studying actually um, um, peer effects because I'm going to find out who's friends with who based on like I'm going to build my house near you versus near someone else and we're going to see if people how they group with each other whether there's some ethnic issues there whether it's like you know so, so we're actually going to study how people interact with this as terrible as we think it is it's sort of you know um, the, 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 the California I mean everyone seems to say it's okay right so um, yeah anyway that's why by the way I didn't name the company here you'll notice like I'm, I'm worried that yeah, I don't know. Don't get lost by the stars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you found an interaction effect where it was stronger on the high end, um, excuse me, the negative effect was, on the high end of performance, the negative effect was stronger yes. for women than for men. But you also found, you showed us one um, positive main effect for underperforming students, and was there a gender difference in that positive bump? I didn't bump? look at that. I should, I should take a look. Um, yeah, so I should look in the first quartile, the, the bottom, the low-performing students. Data here. I think there was a question. Yeah, um, will you get data on the We we can get that. Yeah, we're we haven't yet because um, we have to still get permission. And the problem is um, this. Uh, so some of the studies we did focused just on Los Angeles uh, Unified School District, which is huge. Um, and you can get permission access to data. But this represents several hundred, or a hundred at least, school districts. And you have to negotiate for permission with each individual one of them. Um, so we haven't kind of gone down that road yet. And again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm someone who spends most of my time in like rural India and stuff like that. So the idea of you know, going to all these school districts and begging for permission and sort of hoping we'll find an entrepreneurial grad student who's willing to kind of <laughs> 
the conclusion of this is to make these things less competitive, but I'm confused because like it seems like the systemic issue is do we do we have competition for women at an early age so that they're encouraged to stand out as opposed to disincentivizing competition in the medium phase of their lives because they're gonna compete ultimately yeah. go to go to college. So I don't necessarily understand societally why we wouldn't encourage competition yeah. earlier in life so that when they get to this stage, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Right, no, so the, the implications I'm saying about this here are, given the world we live in right now with students that have grown up in this environment, like this is clearly having an adverse consequence and it's, it's, um, it's creating even greater gender disparities. In doing something to try to deal with that at a much more basic level and at a much earlier level is definitely something to do, but like that's also, that's outside the role of the school district, right? They can't do anything about that, or at least at this stage. So it's more about, I agree with you in a broader setting would be about trying to sort of deal with these underlying differences and why is it that men compete more and, and women compete less and sort of getting at that. But given the way things are now, I think this makes more sense. <coughs> No. One thing that bothers me is that all of us belong to a kind of uh, one image that we are, you, you, yourself, and all of us, we are thinking about maths and all these differences in maths while you have shown us that in English is not the case. Mm -hmm. So um, apparently, it's like a half of the hypothesis is in, in one direction and mm -hmm. half is in the yeah. other, and we don't talk about the second one is uh, funny enough that the girls are best in that, uh, mm -hmm. in English. So yeah. right, <laughs> they right. are very uh, masculine in, in how are we approaching the, mm -hmm. the, the question. No, I think that's an interesting, I think that's a very interesting point is to think about the differences across these subjects. So certainly, um, so the, the gain in the verbal classes was much smaller than the loss in the math classes. Um, so it's a smaller difference overall, um, especially once we do the regressions to that. But you're right, I mean, in some sense, so, so there's a lot of literature that argues that, you know, the stigma for women in particular surrounds the math and technical field, right? And that's why we don't see as many women majoring in science, technology, and sort of these kinds of fields as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. There's sort of a separate hypothesis of why they're both make so, but what it could be is there's offsetting effects. Maybe competition does cause students to do better, like pure competition alone, and that has, that sweeps along both, you know, the, the verbal and the English, and the math scores, so they both start to do better, but then the stigma effects kick in much more when it comes to math, and that sort of counteracts that effect, right? So that there's sort of differential sort of things. And the stigma is differential, right? It's sort of, especially for women, the stigma is definitely more surrounding sort of math and sciences, right? Um, that, you know, that it's one thing to be, a, a, you know, a guy and to be a, a nerd, but it's different for a woman to sort of, you know, or something like that. But no, I think you're right. I think it raises that interesting question. I, I honestly don't have a good answer for that. Can I just pick up on that? I, mean, I do think that there is this, we talked about this actually in other parts of the seminar, but yeah. There is this risk now. We have so many of these examples of things that, where there's backlash against women or there's stigma and stuff like that. And we, I think we, if we aren't careful about the way we talk about things, we, yeah. we do have the potential of kind of reifying the phenomenon we're purporting to study. Mm -hmm. I mean, like kind of creating this, telling people. So for instance, like with the negotiation results, and you wouldn't necessarily know this, but it really is only when you're advocating for yourself that women are inhibited right. about yeah. negotiating. But we, 
but we very women often but there's this more general stuff that people talk about oh women don't like to negotiate right which is yeah. really kind of crazy if you keep telling women again and again that, yeah, that yeah. they don't like to negotiate then the woman who does like for her company or whatever like sure. that's gonna feel like oh what's wrong with me yeah, or people yeah, are gonna yeah. say oh what's wrong with her mm -hmm. that she likes to do that yeah. and similarly it's actually very well documented psychology I mean, literally for decades, like we're going back to studies in the 1970s and 80s and kind of all the way through that, that, that um, it is masculine stereotypic domains where you see gender, right. where you see women's diminished confidence yeah. in their potential to um, perform right. and where you see um, backlash against, you know, counter stereotypical um, uh, women's kind of Performance. I mean, that that's where that, there's right. just a lot of data around that specific domain. So again, like with the math studies, is where it's yeah. almost all been. Exactly. Yeah. We have these like op-eds. Oh, women don't like to compete. Right. You know, and yeah. it's really actually not only in masculine stereotypic domains; it's masculine stereotypic domains against men. Right. Yeah. So it's it's actually even narrower than that. But I so right. I think it's a very good point that when we talk about these results, I do think we have to start being more careful as as they are as the news is getting out. I do think we have to be more careful. As researchers, that we not send global messages that then people we create prophecies for others to fulfill. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Definitely. Mine is much more uh, micro rather than macro. I'm going to go into micro. And I'm actually building on your earlier question on kind of the strategies behind it. And can we get more leverage? Can, can, can we understand more what, what, what leads to kind of the results that we're seeing? And but first, I have to make sure I understand or I remember correctly. Is it correct that the gender difference, I'm going to work on math again for a moment. The gender difference in math in terms of percentages aren't huge, but men do do answer more questions. They answer more, often, yes, right? yes, more. yes. So that means they must overall answer more questions, right? Yes. So they answer yeah. 16 and get 8, right? The 50% yeah. is kind of the yep. mean, but women might only answer 15 or 14 and get kind of 50%, right? Right, um, yeah. So what I'm trying to understand is, is it, um, is it a gaming effect? Mm -hmm. Is it kind of the pleasure of I'm playing this game now, and I'm going to guess? It reminds me of Katie Baldiga's work mm -hmm. also. Right. And I'm just participating, I'm guessing. Yeah. And so one question which you might be able to look at is these um, other attempts. I think you get fewer points if you get it right the second time. Yes. You get yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how many people, how many men and women try again? Right. So, right. you know, and how many just quit after right. the first time around? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have to keep. Actually, it turns out you have oh. to keep guessing. Oh, I have to. Keep yeah, 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 yeah. Until out. you get it right. But once I'm in it, I'm like. Yeah, yeah, in. yeah. Exactly. Once you start a question, you're mm -hmm. getting a certain number of points. You can't just withdraw from that. So you get it right uh -huh. on the first try. If you get that wrong, it goes. Er, sorry, try again. You know, there's no way to get out of it until you sort of work through. Either you get it right, or you work through to the last answer by default. You're like, okay, this is the right answer. Yeah. Or I could yeah. I quit. You could, could I just shut off my computer? You could <laughs> shut off your computer, but that's, you wouldn't do that for every single question. Right? No, that so would be very intense. Yeah, that would be very intense. But also remember, even if there's this gaming effect, remember the women actually did worse, right? They actually answered fewer questions. So it could be that the boys are saying, oh, I like this, this is a game, let's try more. But there's still this separate effect, which is for whatever reason, women are trying less, right? So it could be that they don't like the idea of, yeah. And, but that, I think, is more consistent with this sort of stigma thing, right? Is, uh, I totally believe the stigma yeah. as well. Do you think the way the point system was um, constructed yeah. might have any kind of effect? So I thought it was kind of curious that for the correct answer on the first one, you get a thousand points, and then it right. goes precipitously to three yeah. point five for the next two tries, right. and then nothing. I just—it's a very interesting kind of system because yeah. most kids just kind of drop uh, two hundred points every time or whatever. Yeah. Do you think that the nature of the point system 
might have any effect on the results? It could. I mean, it's an interesting question, right? What's the optimal way to sort of design a point system? And there might be, maybe there's a point system of, but again, what, it, you could think of different alternatives, right? You get 1,000 versus you get 990. You know, you, like, you can either make it not diminish very much or you can make it more extreme. Um, but you're right, there's also this sort of nonlinear gap, right? Going from first to second or third is a huge drop, and then there's a smaller drop to sort of going beyond that. And even between second and third, there's no drop at all, right? You get the same amount. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know the answer. This is just kind of all they had. Um, but it would be interesting to see. And maybe there is a way. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sort of not enthusiastic about encouraging them to sort of monkey with the system too much, because I think it's not a great idea in general. But who knows? I, I, so I, I guess none of this would disprove the existence of a set of scores that might sort of more promote performance. But um, it's not clear to me that that would happen. But yeah, you could get different responses to different point systems. Yeah, I could kind of, I could look at that because again, every time you click any button, um, there's a timestamp down to like the thousandth of a second or something like that. So I could actually, with some detail, look at the gap between things. But the problem is, it's only based on each click. So every time you click a button, I've, I've got that recorded there. But the gap between answering one question correctly and then the next one, um, I don't know, I mean, it could be. It could be that you decided to get up and wait, and so, you know, so on the first few days, the points are definitely changing very, very rapidly. Um, but yeah, you could see if there's sort of operation slowdown. I'll just, you know, take more time between questions um, to fill things out, right? That's what you're sort of suggesting yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, there's even this, like, for example, like, diagram thing, like, grade three, where it's like, you know, the questions that are possible, right? Right. Like, oh, take their time to try to. Like, you need to be more careful. Oh, okay. You know, that's definitely something we can look at. I mean, we, my co-author and I, um, this project came together. My co-author fell off uh, an elephant in the jungles of Laos last summer. And so he was on his back for a while, and then he contacted his company about the data. And so he's kind of mostly back to normal now, but we've been talking about, yeah, anyone who's working on a PhD, get a co-author, fall off an elephant, and uh, you get good data sources. Um, but we've been talking lately about trying to do that, um, but we haven't yet formulated um, how to use the, yeah, so. Definitely um, sort of use the duration and the timestamps. Right, so. Yeah, no, I, I could check that out by percent composition because what we have right now, I mean, so. It, it turns out that we have roughly 50, 50 balance on average, but that doesn't mean there aren't some classrooms where it's going to be, you know, 60, 40, or 55, you know, 45 or something. And then like I that. would also like to pick up on this conclusion. What, what we conclude when we're like in balance was is there maybe also a minority of people in balance. Um, and, and, and the thing is why it tells us because I, I once talked to an evolutionary biologist and she, she said, well, there's a gender difference because sperms are cheese and eggs are expensive. Mm -hmm. so Yeah, so that, that, that women will never ever engage into um, competition in the same way. You might have certain women who will, but on average, you will never reach that. So you need to, or you need to, you know, you need to come up with other forms of competition. But, mm -hmm. but uh, as she said this to me, I found it was very appealing insight that you view it that way. So then 
then actually the training would never help because we would never right. start that one. It's the same kind of constitutional study. So people have definitely proposed a biological underpinning, and that was one of the things I was sort of alluding to, is that some people say that there is just, you know, through evolution, there is going to be some, you know, that men will sort of um, engage more in competition. However, people have also done a lot of these negotiation studies. They've also done a lot of these other kind of games uh, in different sort of settings, matrilineal and patrilineal societies and things like that. And we often find that, you know, if it were biology, you would think this is never going to kind of go away, right? If it's all nature and not nurture, then this would never go away. Yet we often see that in different settings, it does kind of go away. Or in cases like Sweden, you know, in some of these things, we actually see there's no difference. So it could be that the oh, cultural. So many kindergarten teachers in Sweden, and there's so few men doing evolution. Well, but it's more gender neutral than like other societies, and you definitely see this gradient that the more gender neutral uh, on, the, on a lot of measures, um, or the more, you know, then we sort of see a lot of these differences kind of go away. Which doesn't mean there isn't a biological basis, maybe it just means you can overcome that biological basis. So it's, it's not automatically 100% clear, but people have at least tried to argue the fact that we see differences across different settings in ways we would predict based on gender equality, that maybe there isn't this biological component, um, or at least not. Yeah, it's something they're more sort of familiar with, right? Well, isn't it, well, isn't it very specific about the fact that that the, the male population didn't care or didn't touch on that the video game context? Mm -hmm. or not video game, that video game similar to similar video games um, right. than female students who don't necessarily play screen. I mean, I didn't play too much video games. So right. Well, remember, the whole system, the vast majority of what you're doing is answering questions on this computer, right? And that didn't change at all. All that changed was a login screen where you first get in, it shows you the leaders. Now it's true, that may resonate more with boys who have seen leaderboards because they're more likely to play video games, but it's not like the whole thing became a video game, right? It was really just, you've been using this system for week after week after week and for previous years as well. The scoreboard? The scoreboard. Beforehand? Yeah. No, there was no there was no scoreboard. So the scoreboard is new, right? That's the innovation here, is that they didn't have this screen that showed, you know, a little trophy and things like that. But again, even if you're more familiar, even if boys this is something that resonates with them, so they like slide into it more easily, again, it still wouldn't necessarily mean why this would make women do worse, right? Why would they sort of do worse on the map? Right? Unless you think it's so alienating to have this login screen that it's just gonna like this is just gonna mess me up. But remember, they're still answering the same percent correct. They're just choosing to ask answer fewer questions, right? And this persists. So we actually follow this over time, and this difference persists. It shows up on day one, and even six months later, you're still seeing that. And you might think that would be enough time to kind of acclimate to that, and that those effects might start to go away, but it doesn't. So this seems like it also might have an, a little bit of an an advantageous effect for boys and that they are completing more problems, doing more math, engaging in yeah. competition. Would the company or, or something maybe 
change the way that it's worked. So as opposed to have, having everyone default into this public setting, right. have a private setting and you can de then you can choose to be public with it. So that way you can display your results and compete if you want. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I wonder whether, yeah, I mean, it would be an interesting sort of option there. Um, my guess is that you definitely see, right, because there's also these results that say that boys like to compete in general, right. so they might be more likely to do it. But maybe that's but that good. Would be fine. That's fine. Just let it, and in fact, you let students select into whether they kind of want to compete. I mean, that might, that might be an interesting idea for how they could change this and get the good side without sort of the negative side. That's a great idea. I mean, I think it's an interesting point. I mean, I, I tend to take the view that culture can change a little bit more quickly. So some of the work that I was doing that kind of alluded to during the introduction, um, so working on this case where there's strong bias against women um, and where, you know, you shouldn't educate your daughters, you shouldn't feed your daughters, you should give birth to sons, only to daughters. Um, I have two studies, one of which was looking at um, the, so uh, 
there's some people, so a lot of people are saying you're never going to get people to educate their daughters. It's always been this way. It's a cultural bias against girls, and that's it. Just kind of, you're not going to change it. But I found that what I did was um, around the time that call centers were becoming popular, and this created uh, demand for uh, well-educated women. These are very high-paying jobs. Um, I actually sent recruiters from call centers out to randomly selected rural villages where people didn't know about these jobs. And sure enough, when you sort of demonstrated very salient way that there were employment opportunities for women, you actually saw parents immediately respond and start educating their daughters, start feeding them better, delaying their marriage, you know, delaying fertility, all these things. So the age of marriage increase, all these things. So I, th I actually think that you know, these things that people were saying up front, you'll never change this, you'll never change this, I think they are more a product of circumstance. I agree that every law change will not do it. It's not like we can just say, no more gender bias. That's it. Gone. Right? A law change will not do it. But I think when you structure things in a way that people have the incentives, that often it is a lot more fluid than you think. Whereas I think actually nature, I mean, you know, it's hard to change ourselves, right? Unless you're talking, you know, I guess someone can invent a pill that makes us all sort of nice people and not jerks or something like that, you know. But, but I think you're right. But on your first point, actually, I think, I mean, the idea of how we evaluate people, I think, Eris, you've actually done work, right, on how we evaluate people in different environments. And there might be sort of, I think you're right, changing the way we evaluate people might be something that sort of uh, is one way of sort of dealing with, with, with this issue, definitely. I think it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's looking for other natural experiments. I'm not going to do this. I kind of, um, and I don't think an IRB would, uh, human subjects would sort of approve something like this. But we found a couple of cases where we think schools did some things, some certain states uh, did some things that weren't exactly, they weren't leaderboards, but where they introduced more competition into the school process. So we're also going to see what happened there. Um, where gender differences are, I mean, they're already bad in the US in terms of some of these gaps, but in terms of places like India, for example, they're just much more extreme. So we're more looking to exploit sort of existing opportunities. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm sorry to keep coming back to this, yeah. but I find these takeaways really interesting. And I, I, I'm honored to be in the room with you guys, and I come here every week, and I think there's a lot of great stuff that comes out of here. But I, I am concerned that, like, the takeaway is less competition and not parents need to treat their daughters and sons the same way growing up so that they learn to compete. We're in a society of competition. In fact, we all competed to get into the school. Uh, and when we leave the school, we will compete to work in government or to work in business. And I just, I don't necessarily agree that we don't foster that at a young age. Because if you don't foster it here, then it doesn't pop up at you know age 13, but it pops at 18 or 22 or 33 in the workplace. It seems like in my opinion, a lot of the discussions on Thursdays have been, how do we get women into government? How do we get women to succeed in business? How do we get women? These are systemic issues. We should be addressing this when kids are growing up and having girls compete in whatever, dance competition, sports, whatever it is. Why do women at a young age not feel that sense of competition that plays itself out here? Because the other thing that's interesting about this study is, I'm sure that there are women that do very well and there are women that do very poorly. And when you get the mean of that, you know, the idea of opting out, I think that that could adversely affect the people at the top, right? And they're gonna opt out, which again, now those people might have been a top three person, but you now won't see that person in the top three because she opted out because she doesn't like to compete. And that will affect the people at the bottom as well. So, I mean, I just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm sorry. I didn't no, know. no, no, no. I think we have a lot, a lot of people have reactions. Yeah. Do you, um, why don't we keep items short and sweet? I don't think we're necessarily saying that one shouldn't compete, but whenever the frame and the context of the competition is set, it's gendered. It's like there'll be racial components, there'll be other biases, and it's about understanding what choices are made and then how those choices impact outcomes. So it's not that I think Rob would purport that one shouldn't compete, but just for example. In the other study he did looking at call centers, he in essence created a new competitive frame where in essence we knew that the winner of that competition was most likely to be female because I believe in that study there was something like a 70 or 78% preference rate yeah, for, for yeah. females in a call center. But when you understand what the mechanisms are and what they produce, you can then guide how institutions create the structures because whenever we set up structures, we're actually really creating pathways towards outcomes that we can predict if we study reflectively. And what we know from the studies which Iris referred to earlier about what takes place in countries where we have a more gender neutral situation is that women don't fear competition or don't dislike competition, nor do we know from the studies here that women dislike competition. What we know is they change their behavior. It may be that they love competition, but that the social sanction isn't enough, it is a, 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 has a detrimental effect such that the benefit to them of the competition gets subsumed or um, mitigated by the negative outcome. So rather than it telling us what must happen or how we actually feel about it, it's just data that can guide how we can more effectively create a world where the majority of our talent is effectively Uh, I completely agree, and I think it's a very valid point, and I think those of us who struggle, who teach negotiation, struggle exactly with that point of should I, and, and, and of course we want to enable everyone to um, be a more effective negotiator, but at the same time we know that society responds differentially to men and women, so I make women more competitive, and then they will be referred, they will experience backlash like we talked about last week. So it's a chicken and egg problem, I think we're very aware of, but I want to say one more thing that I think we have to be careful about, competition is not competition. I think the, what I learned in neoliberalism and Bruce Westermann's work is that you know piece rate competition is a very different from tournament style competition. The tournament style means only the very best will make it. Um, so that's you know the department selection in a law firm, right? Um, think of that as this particular tournament. The piece rate is much more. You are paid and promoted based on your performance, but it's not just the you know the three best. Um, they don't find any gender difference in the piece rate. Um, but they find strong differences in tournaments. So I still think as a society, we should do both. We should enable people to be competitive in the world we live in, but simultaneously, I think there's no question in my mind, we also have to change the world to make it easier for everyone based on whatever preferences they have um, you know, to survive in that world. So I think we have to do both. I have permission if I ever present this again to just play the podcast, you know? <laughs> like someone asks this, this question, it's a relevant question, and it'll come up a lot, and I, I, I don't think I can answer better than can, those two things. Can I'll I just throw in one it. more, yeah. just add one more thing to this? And, and that is that, you know, what you, um, if you, if you created a, I'm thinking of reminded of like of Claudia Golden's study where they dropped the screen, and then they looked, I don't know if you know the, this research, they looked at the recruitment of women into orchestras relative to men, and then they dropped the screen, and all of a sudden the women were, um, now, uh, there are more women in the orchestra as a result of that, 
if you suddenly see more women, whatever the mechanism, rising in a performance domain, then it becomes less gender stereotyped, right? And it's, there's less of a problem with women competing in a domain where both men and women succeed um, than there is in which a type that's different from you succeeds and you're counter that type. And so if we created multiple mechanisms to you know, let women kind of shine or appear um, as the top of their, you know, in the top of their math class or to signal their math competence, for instance, and then we ended up with more women in math-related professions and stuff like that. I think, I think you, there's a, there, the, it is the chicken and the egg problem, but I think we can focus on the, the structural interventions will influence the psychology that we, of, of the, this type of stuff. Well, I think we're just, uh, yeah, we have to end, yes. All right, thank you very much. come back next week. We have Dara, uh, Dara Cohen, who's an assistant professor here at the Kennedy School. She's going to be talking about explaining rape during Civil War. So that